Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leiahealthcare.ie. Hello and welcome to Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. We're exploring new ways of work, culture and inclusion in the workplace with a range of expert interviews. And on today's show we're asking, is workplace culture in crisis? Coming up, Neil MacDonald and Mary Connaughton join me to discuss workplace culture and how they see it changing. And Chris Upton will explain how the next generation of workers is shaping what the workplace will look like. But first, let's get an idea of how and why the workplace has evolved over the course of the last few years in particular. Jill O'Mahony is a sociology lecturer at Southeast Technological University. Jill, thanks for joining us. Jill, when I first entered the workplace more than a generation ago, I can tell you, the workplace generally, regardless of what you did, was a very hierarchical place. It was very deferential and formal. You often called your bosses by their surnames. Things have changed a lot in terms of workplace culture generally, particularly in the last decade or so. Why so? I suppose um, globalisation has a lot to answer for. I mean, when we think about the 60s, 70s, 80s and even the 90s in Ireland, you're talking about a society that was quite inward looking really in terms of businesses and investment. And then, you know, from that time period, from the early 90s onwards, we had um, a lot of foreign direct investment. We had a lot of kind of outward looking um, models in terms of business. And that meant that there were more international companies here. Different types of workplace culture um, were then kind of filtered through the Irish system and the Irish business uh, model. So, you know, we were, we were kind of dealing with different models and trying to negotiate that as we as we came into modernity, particularly in the last uh, 10, 15 years. So is it fair to say that the workplace culture most of us experience now, whether it's a, an office, a factory floor, uh, that that more informal culture uh, developed first in, in, in overseas markets quicker than it did here in Ireland? Yes, I think so. I mean, when you're looking at the American um, business models, they are... I suppose they're very structured in terms of the the bureaucracy, but there is an informal nature there that, um, you know, people kind of work together and and that informal nature kind of breeds some sort of community. And that's the idea behind it. So if you look to um, the Irish figures at the moment of the two most desired companies uh, or desired places to work in in Ireland today, number one is Google. No, two is the public service, but number one is Google, which is obviously a, a very American company with a particularly Americanized culture within it. And at the heart of that is a kind of a, an informal community spirit, um, which, you know, young people today really kind of, I suppose, are drawn towards. Is that more informal, more inclusive, more collaborative culture, does it, does it put additional pressure on managers to communicate what the objectives of the business are and, and you know, to, to lay down performance, uh, key performance uh, markers and thresholds in that more collaborative environment? I suppose it does. But at the same time, because it's uh, more informal, there is almost an onus on the workers to be contactable, maybe even that little bit more regularly um, so that it's not a, a job as much as a way of life, you know. So there's there's kind of um, pros and cons to it. 
Um, nowadays, you know, a job isn't considered to be almost something that you you have from nine to five and then you check out and, and that's it. It's done. It's more woven into your your daily activities. And you're finding that people are responding to emails late into the evening um, on the weekends. And it's become part of, you know, we need to get the job done rather than putting in a particular amount of time. And of course, that has a, a number of, of offshoots. On the one hand, uh, this professional culture has, has evolved, as you say, whereby you, you work when when the work needs to be done. You achieve yeah. your goals, regardless of whether it's it's in one place or the other. On the other hand, that always being on, that, that subliminal mm-hmm. pressure does cause, you know, well-being issues and, and, and mental anguish at times. It absolutely does. And we've seen an intensification of that through COVID because... People um, realised that they weren't in work for a very specific amount of time and then, you know, could go home and have a legitimate um, claim to some off time. But now they were working from home and trying to justify um, their kind of position and justify how much work they've done. And so they were always on, as you said. Um, And this has, um, you know, brought about a lot of issues in terms of anxiety, which we're seeing coming through. Um, GPs are reporting um, increasing numbers of younger people, middle-aged people, older people, um, coming into them, uh, reporting very high levels uh, of anxiety and stress. Um, So I suppose we could understand then um, some of the figures that we got back from from, um, that piece of research by Leia, saying that um, a lot of young people say that they would move jobs if they were ensured that there were, you know, a focus on mental health and well-being uh, provisions. Yeah. Now, uh, there, there are wider issues, of course, in, in workplace culture, uh, issues of, of, of gender, uh, family friendly policies, whether uh, there's an inclusive uh, atmosphere and culture for, for people from different backgrounds, racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Um, has the workplace culture in Ireland generally improved a lot on, on, on most of those fronts, in your view? I think it has changed. It's improved, but I don't think it's improved to the extent, certainly not on the family um, level. It hasn't uh, improved to the extent that there is any real change. Um, we're still finding an awful lot of pressures on um, families to maintain their work life and then their home life. And and that juggling um, is very difficult. In Ireland, you know, we're not particularly um, great at dealing with that. But then, you know, you look to the US or the UK and they're equally poor. Um, Ireland might even be, uh, you know, a bit better in some ways. But um, I think we have a, a lot of work to do in that regard. You know, there may be slight steps towards uh, diversity and, and inclusion. And certainly um, there is kind of like ticking the box exercises, which we are we are doing. Um, but as as far as real change on the ground goes, I think we have, have a little way to go. Julia Mahoney, sociology lecturer at Southeast Technological University. Thanks for joining us. Up next, the Chief Executive of Havas Dublin, Chris Upton, sheds some light on the next generation of workers. What do they expect in terms of workplace culture? Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. Now, we've had a look at how Ireland has evolved its work practices over the years, and it's largely in line with other countries. But something many people find intriguing is the way the next generation of workers are viewing work because they tend to look at things very differently than we do. 
And is the workers' well-being the prime motivator for that? Chris Upton is the Chief Executive of Havas and he joins me now. Chris, thanks for coming in. Delighted to be here. Now, what has influenced, in your view, and you're a relatively young person yourself, (laughs) what has influenced the way young people uh, respond to the workplace now and the culture that they find there? Well, I think culture is the key word and you can't really separate work culture from culture at large and and the lives they're living at the morning at the moment and the influences that are there so th- what we're seeing now with the younger generations as they're coming through um is a, a far deeper wish to actually make a difference mm. so whereas before work was a means to an end to a lot of people now we're going back a few years now but it was you you got a job and that job was a job for life and that was you set up Happy days. I'm. 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 I'm I there. remember those days. <laughs> so do I. Um, now the drive to actually make a difference means that they're approaching work in a very different way. In fact, I'm not even sure the word work is applicable anymore. What they're looking to do is they're trying to find a path that will allow them achieve the goals that they set themselves. And what we have is a is a group of people that are incredibly goal focused, but not necessarily the same job focused the way we would have been in the past. What we're also seeing is they're massively collective in their view. This is a generation that's coming through that actually feel that it is up to them to make a difference. So we carried out a piece of research um, very recently, only only in the last um, month. Um, and what we're seeing is that the vast majority of them actually feel that it's up to them. They're the ones who actually need need to get involved, need to make a difference. And what's bringing them together is climate change. It is sustainability. It's these big pieces of... The Greta Thunberg generation. uh, It is the Greta Thunberg generation. But bringing that down to to young people entering the workforce in Ireland, let's say, um, you know, most now have have some sort of a primary degree. Many even go on to to, to fourth level education. But what's shaping those values? Why why do they feel that they all have a part to play in in shaping the world and shaping how we work, which is a good thing? Is Is it the way they're educated? Is it the signals they're getting from popular culture? Is it social media and that collective energy that comes from social media? I think it's all of those. I mean, again, I don't think you can separate. I mean, we talk about employees, but they're people. I mean, I think one of the most positive things that's happened is we've stopped talking about employees and we start talking about talent because ultimately they're human beings, they're people, and they're bringing their talents into the and they're being influenced by all of these. So if you look at each of those dynamics, I mean, you mentioned education there. Um, I lectured for five years in um, Technical University Dublin. And even over that time, the what we started talking about, the things we were looking at was changing as our understanding of the world and the role of business within that world was changing. Um, and certainly in business courses, you now have MBAs looking at ethics. That wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago. So I think from an education perspective, absolutely, there's a, there's a, there's a broader view that's, that's being put into play. I think social media has exposed us to bigger worlds uh, and bigger community groups. Um, And in Ireland, you asked about Ireland. I mean, in Ireland, when we look at that and when we look at uh, what we call Gen Zs, they identify more with their online community now than necessarily their nationality. So those influences are absolutely having an impact on how they shape their world and their view of their place in the world. Now, we talked to Jill Mahoney of South East University earlier about how the workplace culture in Ireland generally has evolved over recent years, taking a lot of it from, from overseas models. But what happens when this 
highly principled, highly value-laden energy coming from young people who enter the workforce later a lot of the time now, maybe in their mid-20s, meets the realities of goal-focused employment targets. Well, that's what we're all trying to figure out at the moment. And I'd love to tell you I have the answer, but I don't think anyone does. Um, But there's lots of models out there. I, I think what's interesting, I mean... When I look at it, right, I look at people that are working for me now. They've been four years maybe in in the role. Two of those years have been in pandemic. Mm. When you think about how their view of work has been shaped, that's massive. Half their experience has been totally different from anything you or I would have experienced in the past. So for us, it's a blip. Like it's maybe 10% maybe, you know, of, of our working. So we've built our understanding around that for them. It's a massive chunk of it. And I think what's happened is the curtain between work and life has been lifted. And I'm not sure if it's ever coming down. I mean, you hear in, you know, you hear of businesses now how they're reacting to return to work, how they're reacting to productivity. I think what we might be seeing is at the moment almost a little bit of a growing disconnect between what the view of the business is versus what the view of the employee is. So what the business needs versus what the employee needs. And I think we're still trying to navigate our way through that. Yeah, and I, I, I talk to a lot of employers all the time. You're an employer yourself. Uh, and they say, look, the, the, the competence and the intellectual vigour that young people bring uh, and their ideas are fantastic. But that a lot of them come into the workplace, uh, uh, either as graduates or apprentices or whatever, and they have expectations that are just uh, very difficult to fulfil, unrealistic expectations, which leads to a lot of stress and anxiety, both on the employer's part of you, whether it's a HR manager or a, the manager of a small business. And, of course, on the employee's uh, fact that, 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 that their goals are not meeting. I've heard that and I see that and I completely understand it. I think, though, this is back to what I mentioned about a disconnect. This is the reality and we need to find a path through it. What we have, as you say, is an incredibly talented group of people coming up. We need to find a solution to this because what it isn't going to be is a retrospective step. Okay, So for me, the most important thing is how do we find a path that actually achieves, that meets in the middle, that achieves both needs? Because equally, what you don't want to do is end up de-skilling them. We also have to be careful. I mean, it's funny, there's a lot of businesses now, every business, when we talk about culture, what are we talking about? We're talking about values. And what employees are looking for, and especially this young group of people coming out, they're looking for shared values. But what you've described there is a tension that actually demonstrates that even though we say we have shared values, I'm not sure we've actually landed on those yet. So I think in this day and age, we have moved from a system that was 20, 30 30 years ago, quite hierarchical. And we've moved to a far more democratic system whereby the people who work with you as opposed to for you are as much a stakeholder in the process. You need them as much as they need you. That balance has now been struck. And if we don't look to find a way where we can actually find shared values, what you're going to have is you're going to have churn. You're going to have people leaving. You're going to have dissatisfaction. You're going to have a lot of the things that we're seeing at the moment. That sounds like that we, you know, if if companies don't have them in place already, we need a much more collaborative approach to work. We need uh, very 
genuine communication on both sides, where where both sides are comfortable with with, with the expectations on, on either side. How difficult though is it for employers to to make that investment, that that commitment to communication, to collaboration, to listening to the issues that arise for for younger employees when somewhere in the back of their heads they say these people aren't going to stay anyway. They're they're just looking at my place of employment, my company as a stepping stone, or even if they enjoy it here, they're going to shag off to Australia in in a year anyway, you know, because that's where all their pals are going and they're fear of losing out. Absolutely. And the reality is, though, that is the case. But equally, if you don't have employees, what do you have? There was a a quote from, you might be able to tell me what it happened because I can't remember when it was, but it was a number of years ago from Richard Branson. He said... uh, Quite a well-known quote, you know, I, I train my employees as if they're staying and then treat them so they do stay. <laughs> nice one, yeah. So I think, again, part of the challenge coming out of pandemic is there is such a pressure and focus on managers to perform, to look at performance, to get numbers up. I think what we're seeing is a almost a philosophical um, clash between the old school idea of maximising profits, let's bring Friedman in, and um, this new generation that actually is looking to be a stakeholder and wants to actually, wants the business to help them not just achieve the business's goals, but their own goals. And anywhere where there's a misalignment of incentives, you have difficulties. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. And it's quite a challenge because I'm hearing a lot of stuff that's actually coming back to almost uh, Taylorism, back to the days of scientific management, back to the early days where they had stopwatches out to time people. I'm hearing very interesting stories of companies that are monitoring keystrokes to make sure their employees are on. There's another Irish business that I heard of that actually is keeping staff, making sure staff keep their team screen on when they're working remotely. That is not what this generation is expecting. They basically are expecting to be trusted, given a task and then being allowed to navigate as to how they actually achieve that task. And when we look at the differences in generations, I think that's a big, big difference. But what would you say to people who say, these things are are, are cyclical. Mm-hmm. Things change. There's a pendulum. And when this generation, Generation Z, Generation Z, grows up, has to get mortgages, has responsibilities that they don't have now, they'll become every bit as prescriptive to the generation that follows them, every bit as focused on work goals rather than all this fluffy stuff as the generations before them. So there's, a, there's one of my favourite quotes is from Mark Twain. It's, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And I completely take on board what you're saying. However, what I would say is our generation, we're Gen X's, by the way, coming up through... Work-life balance was a massive, massive part of our conversation at that time as well. And we think things move quickly in business, but actually a lot of culture takes a long time to change. And I think the work-life balance conversations we're having now with this generation happened 20, 30 years ago. That's when this began. So again, I think, yes, once people move into that more senior management position, Will their focus change? Of course it will. But I don't think it's going to go back to that far back to how it was. Um, And again, a big force that's driving that is this massive move 
towards sustainability. Mm. It is being driven from all sides. It is something that we as a nation see. And I, I'm sure you recall back to, uh, I do have to laugh, back to 2019. 2019 was this incredibly interesting year. The Financial Times came out with the fact that capitalism is dead. We need to change capitalism. Pandemic settled that down. It's starting to come back now. But this move towards profit and purpose is absolutely the case. So the Friedman maxim of, you know, maximizing profits is the only job. Started to move in 2019. I think it's going to come back and work and how we work and jobs are going to change accordingly to move with that new philosophy. So sustainability will be the key factor influencing workplace culture. Sustainability in terms of of climate, in terms of the circular economy, but also sustainability in terms of how people work, their mental well-being, their health, their work-life balance. Absolutely. I think it's going to be the unifying thought, whereas let's say greed is good might have been it in the past. I think it is going to be one of the unifying drivers that's going to appear in lots of different ways, as you described. But, you know, I I look at the population coming up through at the moment and I think that maxim moving from money is good to money can do good changes quite a few things. Um, And that might be naive. uh, And I do accept that. um, And not everyone is moving in that way. But I think, again, sustainability has to be the key driver. Chris Upton, Chief Executive of Havas, thanks indeed for joining us. Up next, we speak to Neil MacDonald of the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises and HR expert Mary Connaughton about what they're seeing on the ground in terms of workplace culture shifts. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. Welcome back. You're listening to Workplace Wellbeing with myself, Vincent Wall. So what about culture on the ground? How are small and medium-sized businesses feeling it? How are human resource managers managing to strike the right balance? I'm joined now by Neil MacDonald, Chief Executive of Irish Small and Medium Enterprise Association and Mary Connaughton, Director of CIPD Ireland. You're both very welcome. Mary, I might come to you first. Uh, we've been giving a context in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the podcast to date uh, of how workplace culture has evolved in Ireland, uh, how the current generation and next generations uh, respond to the workplace. But let's, let's get right down to, to detail about what's happening in workplaces, whether they're offices or factories at the moment in Ireland. And I suppose the pandemic has changed everything. It definitely has. It has made really significant difference to people as individuals and then what they bring into the workplace. So even though we often talk about the level of hybrid and remote working, we had a lot of people who were on site working throughout the pandemic and still retain there. But the other thing that's really been driving change is digitalisation. So the whole way technology is used, the pace of change around technology, trying to keep up with it and sort of digital and technology transformations that businesses are going through is driving that. And then people People's expectation has changed. What Mm. people are looking for from work, from the workplace, is different. You know, there's much more emphasis on work-life balance and well-being. And that's not just not not necessarily just young people. It's it's the work. Workforce generally. It is the workforce generally, yes, yes. So what we're finding in terms of some of our research is that people are much more likely to move jobs because they want better work-life balance. Okay, yes, they'll move for pay and security, but they also want to see better work-life balance and that's becoming a driver of all generations. So maybe we we expect young people coming in to be looking for a level of flexibility, but I think, um, you know, more senior generations have just found 
getting more work-life balance, spending time at home is actually a plus. So they're driving the agenda as well, you know, and that's something that workplaces have to, are, are challenging sometimes when they actually want to see people back for some of the time. Neil, uh, by, by definition, you, your members are are the owners or the senior managers of relatively small enterprises, maybe 20 people or fewer in most cases, some manufacturing, some service. How has the pandemic uh, and, and the, the outflow from the pandemic affected the the work culture in, in, in your members' organisations? Well, um, culture always is, is a construct that takes time to develop and culture really struggles to keep up with events um, and we saw in the pandemic some some of the changes in the workplace that have come about during the pandemic were actually quietly underway before the pandemic hit so especially in the technology sector people have actually been capable of working remotely for a long time but we got a decade of change in between six and nine months when the pandemic struck. And and I would think it's fair to say not just among uh, small and micro businesses, as we would say, you know, businesses with less than 50 or with less than 10 people, but really across the board, workplace culture is struggling to accommodate a, a dispensation where uh, where a significant part of the workforce is not actually in one place uh, at the same time. Uh, and, and that is putting a burden both on management but also on workers. I, 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 it's very clearly visible, uh, especially among young people for whom work is almost is a social outlet. Um, remote working can put a, a strain on people like that. So it, it is actually, this is work in progress, Vincent. It's not it's far from done and it's going to take quite a while for workplace culture to catch up with what has happened over the last two years. And talk us through some of the issues that have been thrown up specifically by the pandemic. As you say, you know, people had been technologically able to work from home before, but this this threw an abrupt kind of crisis element to it. Is it that people's well-being, their their mental health, uh, particularly in relation to work, uh, has been affected because they don't have that social outlet? Is it that your members, whether owners or chief executives, are finding it much more difficult to communicate with people and to measure productivity? Uh, all of the above. Um, Productivity is relatively easily measured in certain metric businesses. It's very difficult to measure in other uh, businesses with softer skills or softer outputs. So there isn't an across-the-board answer uh, to that. Um, But from a a workplace culture point of view, from a communication point of view, um, it's only becoming really explicitly apparent now the extent to which um <clears throat> the normal uh, argy bargy or creases in in how people negotiate their way through a working day how those problems are f- so much easier to do where where there's a water cooler where there's a kettle uh, where there's a toaster and people can actually physically uh, interact with each other in 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 a shared space that is is very much absent when you're dealing with people d- through a little slit on a screen on a laptop uh, and we have found 
um, you, you know, the degree of interpersonal communications difficulties that ha- has arisen over the last two years has been significant. It is a, a boon uh, for certain of the people that Mary would represent in terms of um, uh, mediators, HR professionals, um, the management of communication, unfortunately, in, in rare cases, disciplinary procedures. But the there has been a, a significant uptick in this and it has increased the management burden on small businesses in particular. Mary, would you agree with that? Um, you know, we, we've all heard the old phrase, uh, culture eats strategy for, for, for breakfast. Um, but that culture in, in, in an effective organisation is, is sometimes set at the water cooler where you know, people of, of, of different backgrounds, people of different generations within the workplace kind of smooth things out. Uh, that's not there now. And have HR managers, whether they're the owners of businesses or the or the managers in large organisations, have they developed the skills to deal with this abrupt schism that's happened over the last two or three years? Um, certainly, we know that the same issues are are coming up in larger organisations um, as well and across um, most sectors. So the idea. Um, of, of culture is you can put it up on the wall and you can talk about it but it is that maybe water cooler moment or the informal chat that tells me how do things really get done around here and what's the real um, path to get something actioned and certainly um, the the pandemic has left people working much more siloed so even where teams might be working effectively together remotely because productivity did improve during the pandemic and we have lots of evidence from our members about good productivity increases during remote working but it didn't mean that the cross collaboration that sometimes helps innovation collaboration they weren't happening and they're missing and that sense that we've seen One of the interesting things on culture was we found that in the early days of the pandemic, it seemed fine. But um, last year, our research showed us that um, 45% said that the culture was more negative now than it had been before the pandemic. And you had to very proactively um, tackle it through communication, through training managers, if you wanted it to do there. And now companies are in catch-up mode. Now they're needing to do that. So we are finding that the profession are now very much saying we need to invest in this. We need to pull people together to say, what is our new culture? What's the right culture for us going forward? And then to put in the development and the training behind it. And in many cases, it's becoming a participative process. Let's get the employees involved. Let's get the managers involved because it's not a about being set by the top to say this is how we want to be. It's about saying what actually works for us to deliver to our customers and everybody should be able to answer that question. And for those, and and it would be a significant number of people, whether by choice or not, where either complete remote working or more likely a hybrid model will persist for some time. How important is it for the culture of an organisation that there is at least some sort of meetings on a regular basis and some sort of Social events, because social events often provide the glue, a bonding glue that, that, um, you know, accentuates whatever culture is there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would say, you know, people talk about, you know, are people coming back two days a week or three days a week? Actually, it's not about that. It's about what are they doing when they're back? So the move is now towards core days or anchor days are, in fact, um, we've heard the label collaborative days. So when you're on say, site, you're there to collaborate. There's no point in me being on site and being on, on Zoom or Teams calls um, for most of the day talking to people who aren't here. So it's about making sure teams are there at the same time. And maybe if you work with another team, they're there. So that's starting to happen. 
And we're also very clear that you need to allow time in the day for people to have those conversations. And I'm running from here to here to here and I bump into, you know, Nile or Vincent and I haven't time to stop and have that social conversation. I think we totally underestimated the importance of our colleagues and social connection for both our mental health and our ways of working. I mean, if you come in, um, you know, when we were all on site and you're having a bad day, you could turn to somebody and say, this isn't working out or I'm worried about this or this happened yesterday. And you had somebody to talk to. And that was much harder to do um, in the pandemic when you're online. Now, initially, some of our relationships would have sustained that. But after two years, people have moved on in their lives and they've had slightly different focus than being all together all the time. So it definitely does need close attention. We're hearing of onboarding sessions. So bring everyone in, the whole organisation in. We're having an onboarding week. We're doing this, that. And it's to help the new people get to know the people who've been here before. And you use that to sort of remark what your culture is. It takes work. It takes work. Neil, in your view, is it is it easier or more difficult for a small organisation, a small business organisation to define culture, to be flexible to changing expectations and values on the part of new and perhaps younger employees coming in? And, and is that more difficult in the current environment where there may be, even amongst the small workforce, some working hybrids, some having to work on the shop floor, a level of growing mistrust that, oh, well, he can see what we're doing here. You know, we're working. I'm not sure what Johnny's doing at home. Um, I, I I would say the the answer to that question, Vincent, especially in a smaller family run business, is is driven by the top. I mean, um, there's loads of, of of definitions. You know, you'll get very fancy definitions of what cu- culture means, but I suppose the easiest ones culture is what people do when nobody is watching, uh, <laughs> and it and it's the the you know the way we work around here. Um, <clears throat> As as Mary said, people didn't realise the extent to which um, culture was driven simply by uh, unplanned interaction between people in the workplace. And in the absence of that, uh, owners and managers of businesses actually have to sit down. This stuff is not organic when people are not in one place. Uh, so you actually have to think about this in ways that you didn't have to think about it before. To a certain extent, <clears throat> if the owner or, or the owner of a business had had their own personal culture, which organically moved through the organization where there was physical contact that that's no longer happening so so that owner has to think about how they're going to share uh, values culture expectations uh, and also simple things like targets uh, when those people aren't necessarily in the room with their colleagues so there's, so there's uh, um there is an issue of placing a structure there where there wasn't a structure before and it is it is tricky to do with different groups of people. You you alluded to it with Mary, but we're certainly seeing that some groups of people, particularly the professionals, uh, you, you think of uh, engineering, um, legal or accounting professionals, who in the long run were 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 quite happy to work on their own. Or so uh, working from home didn't necessarily radically change uh, the way that they did their work, which a lot of the time was solitary. But for a lot of young people, were who would traditionally have worked in a more team based setting, the um, the imposition of working from home has actually materially affected the way they deal with other people, and not necessarily in a good way. And we see people who actually want to 
to return to a physical workplace for at least a portion of their week because it is it is a social as outlet as as well as everything else. Mary, I mean, obviously, culture and the workplace culture encompasses many different facets, including, you know, the the attitude, uh, the, the the family friendly uh, arrangements that are there. Certainly, in terms of, of 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 gender, whether women are encouraged to to take on more senior positions, those kind of things. Obviously, with the changing demographic and the population generally, just how we are towards other cultures, people necessarily weren't born here. Um, in the end. You know, given all of that, how important is pay for keeping people and keeping people happy at work and satisfied at work, as distinct from all the other elements around that? Um, it's still important. Let's not underestimate that, that people will, um, their base salary is really important. And when they're changing jobs, it's an important criteria. But what's changed is it's not the only criteria. So I might say, OK, so I can get the, the, the pay I want. Um, and OK, there might be some variation, but if I'm choosing between two jobs and one of them has um, a stronger focus on well-being, more family-friendly policies, I'm likely to think I'll get a better work-life balance working for them. That's probably likely to attract me rather than the other one. And sometimes people will make a financial decision on that, but it still needs to be that they've got the base pay that they're looking for and generally the job security that they're looking for in the organisation they're going for. But yes, um, it has got more important. The other thing that happens to that has happened to drive it is now, um, you know, shareholders, um, regulation agencies are all now looking at things like, what are your inclusion practices? So boards are now asking questions around that. So even if it wasn't on the management's agenda, there's now more external pressure to say, actually, what does inclusion look like? What are we doing to make sure we are getting more women to the top of the organisation? And, you know, how well does our, um, you know, ethnic profile match our customer base? know. Mm. So um, those pressures are there and employees are choosing to go with organisations that are offering that. Now, interesting, um, I talked about the conflict that's there. Sometimes we're finding people now coming back on site or suddenly finding, oh, well, I thought this was what this looked like and now mm. it's looking like something different. And that's causing some of the, 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 the movement we're seeing in the labour market where people are saying, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, but people... If you're recruiting at the moment, you'll be asked, what does flexible working look like? Like, can I work a four-day week? Can I work, you know, um, 100 miles away? You know, those are the conversations that are now common as part of any recruitment process. So employers now have to be very clear, where are our parameters? Where are our boundaries? What can can and can't we do? And we talked to Chris earlier about the expectations and values of young people and how they bring those values to the workplace and how that's changing culture. Um, do smaller business owners sometimes find that the expectations of young people are unrealistic when they actually hit the realities of the workplace that, without being pejorative, that perhaps a lot of young people now have been cosseted and cotton wooled in both the home and the school environment and, and, and that there's a tension there in the workplace because of it? I, 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 I think often, you know, the, the Gen X and the millennial uh, thing is, is thrown too often at, at uh, young people. I think the issue for young people is they move from a, um, especially if they've gone through the leaving cert uh, process, they they move from a process where there's a very explicit uh, expression of performance in terms of points. Uh, and if they do well and get a lot of points, then there's an automatic expectation that they'll do very well afterwards. That isn't the way it works in the workplace. And soft skills are 
not not every bit as important. They're actually more important in most cases in a workplace than simply the ability to do well academically or be professionally competent. And and that presents a lot of difficulty for young people. And picking up on that issue, Mary, how do businesses in this changing environment post-pandemic where a lot of younger people coming into the workplace have different expectations, different values, how does the whole... Uh, performance appraisal system work now, you know, in terms of, of 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 giving people, you know, honest feedback as to how they're doing and and how younger people in particular might respond to that. Yes, certainly, and we do find that sort of newer generations in the workplace are looking for greater levels of feedback and um, more development. So that's very clearly on the agenda. Um, And um, what we are finding is that companies are in many cases reviewing their performance management process. Um, One interesting thing that happened during the pandemic, it was like when all of a sudden, you know, all our ways of working changed and so many of us were at home there actually turned out to be more one-to-one conversations with managers because now managers couldn't see what you were doing and they started to have more goal-setting meetings. And this is like from the the sort of the Microsoft analysis of how people spent their time. This is sort of the big picture data is saying there was more of this happening. Um, And I think that was also part of establishing the trust. So now I was relying on people to do their work um, when, when I wasn't there as a manager. So I had to trust them. But I also had to steer them. So um, so that got a lot more formalised. A lot of companies are still doing reviews. Um, I know there's been great debates about whether or not they should be linked to bonuses and pay increases. And some companies have changed that completely and others have stayed with it. Um, because you do need some way to recognise performance. But certainly having regular meetings with um with all generations, I think the young people come in and they ask for things in the workplace and then everyone looks around and think, I'll have a bit of that too. So it's not it's not that I think it's always generational, mm. but it's just that there's a spark from one cohort looking for it and then we say, well, yes, actually, everyone deserves a bit of feedback and everyone deserves that. So, um, I mean, with productivity going up, there's an overall sense that people are working hard, um, but it is about making sure they're working on the right stuff and delivering correctly for the business. And yeah, there does often need to be, where we find the gap around performance is manager skills. Managers need to be more skilled to actually be able to have those conversations. More and more of the sort of the retaining the people and attracting them in and making a good workplace is coming down to the manager, whether that's um, on site or online. And that skill set is often needs to be improved. Before we wrap up, I might ask the two of you two two, two similar questions. One, uh, to what degree is workplace culture defined to some degree by the the external economic environment that when there's almost full employment and things are going well, uh, workplace culture can be more diffuse, let's say. Uh, and perhaps if, 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 if the unemployment situation is, 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 is much more uh, bothersome and worrisome, that perhaps a more prescriptive form of work culture comes back. People are afraid to move or whatever. And also, to what degree do you think workplace culture is in crisis or we will work our way out of this? Neil, maybe first. Um, well, there are two parts to that. I mean, the, the workplace culture, uh, as I said earlier, there's a, there's an element of it that is set by the top. But Mary alluded to, um, you know, defining expectations in, in feedback or review. There, there is an element of culture that's set from the ground up. And if, for example, there are people who aren't performing but are retained in the business, that sets a message for, for other people. So th- that is where review 
um, feedback, uh, a formal expectation by management of the expectations of the business. That's where that is necessary. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question by, by stating where I, where I, where I started off, Vincent, by way of saying. The culture really has to catch up with a really rapid period of change that, to be honest, not just management and owners, but, but employees, everyone is struggling at the moment. This is going to take a little bit of a, a, a time to work out. And and through professionals like Mary, we'll actually see the, we'll, we'll distill the good examples uh, of how to progress while also analysing what are the bad examples and let's not do that. So I would say this is work in progress. It's far from done. Mary? Uh, I certainly would build on that, um, Niall, and fully agree with you on on the culture side. I think sometimes we forget that we're only six months really into this period. Because if you go back even to spring, we were still having lockdowns, we were still wearing masks, we were still having peaks of COVID. So we're only really trying out how does this kind of hybrid new world look and feel. So, you know, from an organisational life cycle perspective, that's tiny. So it does take time to stabilise. And hence, I think that's why there is a level of instability there. I mean, we're even talking to people about who's investing in their um, development when they're working. But if you're not sure what your work pattern is, it's even harder to make some of those decisions. So there's an instability there and that's feeding into it. And certainly culture does need to be, you know, addressed and formulated and agreed. And, And do you think some of the more broader, inclusive, more collaborative forms of working will stay with us now? They're permanent or might there be some sort of a swing back if the economic climate were to disimprove? I don't see them swinging back. I mean, I think what the 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 pressure is is in the labour force and the pressure is in large companies. You think how many multinationals we have here. Just because Ireland may not have, um, you know, may have high unemployment or low unemployment, they're not going to change their culture. And in many ways, you know, we have benefit from some of those practices. The the shareholders are not going to change their fundamental ask of a business. So I don't see them slipping back. Um, I do think there will be some businesses might kind of think, oh, it's we can be a bit more lax on it. But I think down the road then they suffer because your reputation will be damaged or when there is a pick up that your people will leave you in that organisation because they'll want to go somewhere else. So um, yes, the external environment does have an impact in the choices individuals can make, but it shouldn't be the driver of a culture. If this is how you want your organisation to be and you want to treat people, that shouldn't be dependent on the level of um, unemployment that's out there. Mary Coniston, Director of CIPD Ireland and Neil MacDonald, Chief Executive of Ismay. Thanks indeed for joining us. And my thanks to all our guests this week on this edition of Workplace Wellbeing. You can listen to or download the podcast at newstalk.com and be sure to subscribe to the series. Thank you for listening. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie.